from Luke chapter 6, verses 37 to 40. If you don't have a Bible, if you've forgotten it in the morning rush, there's some at the back um, if you need one. And you can take that away with you as well. Okay. Just want to remind us that the Bible is God's word. Um, and it shapes everything that we do here, everything that we believe. Um, so let us still our hearts and hear the Lord speak to us this morning. So Luke 6, verses 37 to 42. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord. Just want to pray. Father God, I pray for Andrew as he comes to preach on this passage this morning. I pray for us all to have hearts and minds to hear what Andrew has to say from your word. I pray for the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to give us focus, removing all distractions, and for us to leave here today enriched by your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks, Claire. That's great. Um, oh, yes. I thought I didn't have water. I was going to ask you to get me one moment. I do have water. Um, we're, we're still we're back in Luke's Gospel, but just as we heads up, um, the next couple of weeks, next week and the week after, we're, gonna, we're actually going to step out of Luke for a couple of weeks, and we're going to do, do some... Uh, teaching and look at what the Bible says about deacons in the Bible. Um, those of your members will will know that. Um, kind of, I think back in January, um, we had our members meeting and, and we talked about this vision for our church for this coming year and, and shaping and forming sustainable biblical leadership and deacons as a part of that. So we're going to spend two weeks um, uh, in the Bible just looking at, at what what deacons are and, and what the Bible says about that and, and what that might look like for our church. And then we're going to follow up on that. Um, probably with uh, maybe an evening where we could, like a family meeting where we get together and do some discussion and ask questions and so on. Um, that's just a wee heads up. Um, but today we're in Luke and um, we're in this section where Jesus is preaching a sermon. So in some ways you can kind of read this, clearly read it, and then we go, oh, well, that's our sermon. Um, but in other ways, um, there's lots of stuff in there that you might not understand and, and some analogies that Jesus uses, for example, that need some unpacking. Um, this is a sermon that Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of heaven, uh, what it is like, and how we are to live as part of it, right? So if you think about any kingdom or any uh, society, there, there are rules and, and laws and, and ethics for living within that kingdom, within that system. Um, so for example, none of us live, are above the laws of this land. Um, so I, I can't, I can't uh, kill or, or you know, steal or anything like that. I, I have to, I can't just drive at whatever speed I want, although, <laughs> yeah, uh, I still don't drive at whatever speed I want. Let's just put it that way. Uh, 
I have to have a national insurance number. I have to pay taxes. And so it is with the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of, uh, that Jesus is bringing into the world uh, has ways that we are living it. And there's two things we need to remember. Firstly, as Christians, we are citizens of God's kingdom, right? So I don't think we necessarily think about that a lot. And then secondly, there is a way to live as citizens of God's kingdom. So um, in Luke 22, obviously we're a long way from getting there. In Luke 22, Jesus actually says to his disciples, and I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. So Jesus is saying that the father has given him a kingdom and what the father has given to Jesus, what Jesus inherits from the father, we inherit from Jesus, basically. We are part of, of that kingdom that, that God has given to Jesus. And the Apostle Paul then in, in Philippians 3 expands on that teaching of Jesus and he says, but our citizenship, that's the church, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so I, I was thinking about this week and I was thinking about the identity crisis that we have in this part of the world. Um, I, I feel a, a torn sense of nationality. Um, so born in the island of Ireland, but growing up under the government of the United Kingdom. Um, but what the gospel does for us no matter where you're from or what your political allegiance is, the gospel gives us a really clear sense of belonging, doesn't it? Um, so it doesn't matter what country you claim allegiance to. If you belong to Jesus, you're part of the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus teaches us. We are the church. We have been bought by the blood of Jesus, and we are citizens of heaven. Um, and this means that our, our first allegiance is not to any human government or system or flag or anything like that. Our allegiance is to the king of kings. Belonging to the kingdom of God is, is the thing that shapes and defines how we live. And so our first responsibility isn't to obey the laws or the government of the country that we live in, although we should. It's to obey the laws and the government of the kingdom of heaven. Now, thankfully, Jesus, in this, in this sermon that he's preaching here, gives us really clear instruction on how to do this. This is what this sermon is about. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and so we live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And we saw some of that last week, um, loving our enemies. That's one of the ways that we live as part of that kingdom when Travis unpacked that for us. Now, before we get into the details of this part of Jesus' sermon, there's one more thing that I want to point out about living in his kingdom. Um, the kingdom of God isn't random. It's not just something arbitrary. It, the kingdom of God is actually based on who God is himself, right? So we see this in, in basically any kingdom or any system. So I was thinking on a very small scale. If you think of, take my family, for example, as like a kingdom, right, in a small scale. Um, the way my family lives is based on the things that me and Haley value. So the way we live is, is basically living out the things that we value. And the people who are our subjects, our, our kids, they, they live out the things that we value. We train and teach them to, to live in ways that, that live out what's important to us. The same as on a larger scale, if you look at the laws of a country, uh, you will notice that the laws by and large reflect the things that a country or that society values. This is one of the reasons why I love the book of Leviticus. People get bored with it, but actually because if we look at all these laws, what they're doing is showing us what the lawgiver is like, right? Um, so in this country, we have laws against murder and rape because to at least some de degree, our society, our country values the dignity of human life. The laws and the, the way citizens are to live reflect, reflect the values of the lawgiver, right? And so it is for the kingdom of heaven. So this sermon that Jesus is, is teaching us that we're looking at at the minute shows us as citizens of his kingdom, 
that, 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 that we find when we look at that, that we see that, that his kingdom is based on who God is. And how do we know what God is like? We look at Jesus. Colossians 1 tells us that. Jesus is the invisible, or the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So if we want to know what God is like, we look to Jesus. And, and so if we put all this together and put all this sermon into context, here's what we get. We are citizens of God's kingdom, and we need to live like that, and the way to live is found in Jesus. So we're citizens of God's kingdom, we need to live like we're citizens of God's kingdom, and the way to do that is to look to Jesus. And in this particular passage, I think there's five kind of, um, five applications of this, five ways to live together in God's kingdom. Five things that, that Jesus is saying, listen, if you're part of my kingdom, if you're part of my family, if you're, if you're citizens of heaven, this is how you will live together. And so the first thing we see is don't be judgmental. Jesus says, don't be judgmental. Look at verse 37 with me. Jesus says, oh, I've gone back too far. Um, Jesus says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you won't be condemned. Let's stop there for now. Now, you don't have to know much about the Bible to have heard this phrase, um, Everyone says, judge not, lest you be judged. I don't know why everyone quotes Old English, the like King James. Maybe it gives it more authority or something. But, but this is a really famous saying of Jesus that has just become widespread and common. And it's, I think it's a, it's a, a, a saying that, that particularly like our progressive culture and society loves. Because the, what people t- have taken this to mean is like, I can do whatever I want. I can live however I want. And, and no one can judge me. I used to wear like... Uh, I used to work in uh, like a, a young people's uh, shelter and uh, one of the guys like, got this new tattoo that one of his friends had done for him and it was supposed to say on his shoulders right across his back, it was supposed to say only God can judge me but it said only God can jude me, <laughs> like the guy missed out the G. So probably a lesson about don't get dodgy tattoos. Um, but people love this idea of like, only, well no one can judge me. Like you can, I can do whatever I want. And, and it's an excuse to do whatever we want without scrutiny or criticism. Um, I can't, I, you can't judge me. And I'm not going to judge you. But is this what Jesus really means? Is Jesus really saying that we should never scrutinize or consider anything, that we shouldn't have discernment? Well, I don't think so. Jesus isn't saying that we shouldn't ever pass judgment, Right? We, we need to be able to discern, and we're going to see this later on, we need to be able to discern between right and wrong. We need to be able to make decisions. We, we don't overlook like the mistakes and sins of our sisters and brothers. We are to correct one another. We're supposed to hold each other accountable um, and correct each other. So Jesus isn't saying that we never use our judgment or that we never discern what is right or wrong or that we never call each other out. But what Jesus is doing is addressing the all-too-common problem, especially in the church, of self-righteousness, judgmentalism, and criticism. He's, he's talking about being quick to criticize and pass judgment on other people, being quick to find fault, being judgmental, being self-righteous. The, the, the difference between uh, having a, a, a loving, critiquing nature and having just a hard, critical spirit and Jesus says, don't be like this. This is a warning against being a fault-finding person. You know those people who love finding fault? 
You know, when people, you holding people down in guilt instead of encouraging them towards the grace of Jesus, encouraging them and restoring them back to walking in the way of Jesus. And listen, I was reading this and I was like, yeah, those people are really bad. No, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm doing that very thing. Like, how often do we enjoy pointing out other people's mistakes? Love it, don't we? I, I, th- I do think it's a... Maybe it's just my family, but I think it's a particularly Northern Irish thing. We love it. We're so easy to be um, self-righteous and judgmental. Maybe as I'm saying that, you can remember the last time you did that. And, 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 and listen, Christians have always had to have discernment, right? In Romans 14 and 15, Paul does this massive section on the, about the these differences between essential and non-essential matters of faith and conscience, right? So he's talking about things like what you eat and the Sabbath and things like this. And he says that the church should not be divided on these things. But yet it's often these small things that we love to nitpick in other people, isn't it? I can't believe that she went to that place or I can't believe that he thinks this about alcohol or whatever it may be. This kind of critical spirit and judgmental nature is not how we live with one another as citizens of God's kingdom. And and notice the high stakes here. Jesus says, judge not and you will not be judged. What he's basically saying is, this is a particular way of of speaking. It's called the divine passive, if you want to know. It's basically a way of talking about God without actually using his name. And so uh, Jesus is saying that that God is the judge. And and if we want to play that role of judge, then we're going to invite God's judgment on ourselves. That's what he's saying. This kind of regular judgment, critical spirit, it shows that a person has never really received or experienced the mercy and forgiveness that Jesus offers. Because when we do receive that mercy and forgiveness through Jesus' death on the cross, we don't behave that way, do we? Now, I just want to point out as well that this isn't Jesus isn't saying, you know, it's not salvation by works. He's not saying, um, well, if you live a life of not being judgmental, then you'll go to heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. But what he is saying is that, that by not being judgmental, that's an evidence that we have received God's forgiveness and mercy. You see? Hearts and lives that have been transformed by the redeeming work of Jesus don't live as judgmental, critical, self-righteous people. And then Jesus adds this other command. He says, do not condemn. He starts off with two do nots. Do not judge, do not condemn. And what he's saying is that in addition to not being judgmental and critical, we are to be people of generous hearts, being generous of spirit, kind in our thoughts and attitudes towards our brothers and sisters. Listen, I have to confess, I am so quick to condemn. Even just in my own thoughts and and my own heart, I'm so quick to condemn. But Jesus says, don't do this. Don't condemn, but be quick to forgive. Be quick to show mercy. Forgiven people forgive others because they have been forgiven much. Recipients of mercy show mercy. We have uh, what we've received in Jesus, we, we give to others. We are citizens of heaven. We're brothers and sisters. And in this family, we are not judgmental to each other. And we don't condemn one another. I want to confess to everybody here that I do that, and I'm sorry. Jesus says, in my family, in my kingdom, we just simply don't do that. Secondly, Jesus says, forgive others, and we've already kind of edged onto that a little bit. Um, 
He, he starts with two negative commands, do not, and then he gives two positive commands, things to do. Forgive and give. Um, forgive others. Forgiveness should be one of the main attitudes that marks the Christian life, right? Because we are forgiven people. At the very basis of it all, we are forgiven people. And so I think forgiveness should be one of the main things that marks the Christian life. Jesus is calling us to be generous-spirited, big-hearted people. Like, do we have generous spirits towards our brothers and sisters? That's how we should first and foremost each other. He's calling us to be generous and forgiving towards one another. The opposite of being small-minded and, and critical-hearted and judgmental. And, and I love this. And the more I looked into this this week, did a wee bit of study, word study around forgiveness here. And I absolutely love this. And hopefully I can do it justice. So the word that Jesus uses here for forgive in the original language means to set free, to release right? And this is this beautiful picture of what Jesus means when he says, forgive each other. Set them free. Because what Jesus has done for us, and we use this language about Jesus all the time, don't we? He has set us free, right? Jesus set us free. He's forgiven us. But when we forgive each other, we are setting, when I forgive someone who has wronged me, I am setting them free. So this really, really beautiful thing, right? If I am hurt by someone, if, if someone I hurt if someone I love hurts me, I hold them captive. I, they are held captive by the guilt and the shame of their wrongdoing, right? But when I forgive them, my sister or my brother who has hurt me, what I am doing in a very real way is doing to them what Jesus has done for me. I am releasing them from the guilt. I'm saying, you have offended me, but that, I, that offense is gone. You're set free from that. You no longer have to walk under the, the feeling guilty about that or trying to make up for it. Do you see how beautiful that is? Like in that class, like we really get to set people free. When we forgive each other, we're living out the gospel. It's class. It's beautiful. We get to do for each other what Jesus has done for us. We get to set each other free. But we're also setting ourselves free, right? When someone hurts us, we are held captive by the wrong and betrayal and hurt that has been done to us too. But by forgiving them, we set ourselves free too. We let go of the hurt. We get to walk in the freedom that Jesus won for us on the cross. Do you see how forgiveness is this beautiful thing? It's this wonderful thing that, that Jesus says, listen, this is what I've done for you. And, and you get to go and do that for each other. Now, does that make sense? And I just want to point out that, of course, that doesn't mean that there aren't consequences, right? When we hurt each other, of course, there are consequences. And it doesn't always mean that reconciliation will happen. But we are always called to forgive. We should never be the one who is stopping reconciliation from happening. And it means that, that we, we count the cost and we choose to lay down our right to be offended. <laughs> because this is what Jesus has done for us. God's kingdom, we forgive each other. Thirdly, we are to be generous. We are to give generously. Look at verse 38. This is the second positive command. Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For, when the measure, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So the promise that, that Jesus gives here is that to, to those who, who give generous, much will be given in return right? You cannot outgive God. <laughs> you give, and he just keeps giving and giving and giving back to you. 
And this is about meeting the needs of others. Um, it's also about having that generous spirit and forgiving, but I think it's, the practical element here is about meeting the needs of others, our brothers and sisters, being generous with our finances and our resources, our money and our time and our homes. Whatever we have, we give from to others and we do it generously. When you give to the church, you give generously. Or think about how can you practice this in your missional community? What does it look like? Even think about this week. Start small. Start with your missional community. What does it look like for me to be generous with my missional community, with my brothers and sisters? Meet the needs of, how can I, think about how can I meet the needs of the people that God has brought me into his kingdom with, right? And see how God responds to our generosity. I love this. Jesus says, when you give, you will be given. That, that means God will, be, God will give it. And it's given with good measure. God doesn't give begrudgingly or unwillingly. He gives with good measure. This is the image that, that Jesus, I have to admit, when I read this at the start, I was like, what on earth is he talking about? But let me explain. It's the image of, of grain being put into a container, right? It's pressed down so that more fits in. And then he gives it a shake to make sure it all like runs down to the bottom. And then not only that, it's, it's like overflowing the edges to the guys. It's on the guy's lap and he's trying to gather up in his robes. That's how I pictured it. This is how God gives to his children. It's, it's pressed down, shaken, the container's full, and then it's flowing over the sides. We can't contain it. This is how God responds to our generosity. I've never had to put grain in the container, but um, used to be this, uh, across the street from where I worked, there used to be this Chinese uh, that had an all-you-can-eat buffet, right? So maybe you know where this is going. And uh, when I was working a night shift, you, I think it was like a fiver or like four quid or something, for, and you got a, a box, like, you know, Chinese box, like the deep ones, and it was like, go help yourself. I was pressing that thing down. I was shaking it. I could barely get the lid on, you know, and I'm like walking out like this, got my fiver's worth. This is how God gives to us, right? This is the generosity that God rewards us with when we are generous to one another. It's like, you, it's like we took our kids to the rink last week over Easter and got ice cream, and it's like, uh, uh, Abigail who's so tiny had this big ice cream and it's like it's squished down the cone and it's all dripping down the sides that just reminds me of God's grace and generosity to us just like completely overflowing can't get enough of it this is how generous our God is to us now just because God rewards our generosity to each other please don't think that that if we're generous we're going to get rich that's not what Jesus is saying but what he is promising us is a life of blessing, a life of blessing that's worth far more than money. The generous person receives a life of blessing that can't be measured in money. When we are generous, we experience a, a life of blessing that, that you can't buy. It's a life of, of uh, amazing fellowship together, a life of uh, being rich in relationships, being rich in the knowledge, your love beyond measure by God. And when you give, you won't be shortchanged. God doesn't measure out, like, okay, uh, that you need to get this much back. It's pressed down, it's shaken together, it's overflowing. God gives and he gives and he gives and he gives ad infinity. Jesus says his disciples will be big-hearted, generous people who will give and give and give because we reflect the character of our Father. And isn't that what he's done for us? Immeasurably generous towards us. Fourthly, um, Jesus 
It says, be discerning. Be discerning. Uh, Let's look at verses 39 and 40. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? The disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Now, Jesus is talking about using our discernment to follow the right teachers, okay? Um, So, in some ways, Jesus said, do not judge, but here he's saying, be discerning. So, he's not talking about, don't ever make decisions or don't pass judgment on things. What he's talking about is discernment. Jesus' disciples will be able to recognize the difference between a good teacher and a false teacher. The image he gives is, is the blind leading the blind. Another one of those sayings of Jesus that's just incredibly common, right? Even if you have never read one page of the Bible, you'll have heard the blind leading the blind. Um, now, in those days, um, in the Middle East, uh, falling into pits isn't that common nowadays, but in the Middle East, there were lots of cisterns dug into the ground um, uh, and to, to contain water because there wasn't a lot of rain, and, and that's where they get their drinking water and water for the crops and so on. Uh, and if you're a blind person walking around and being led by a blind person, you could easily just fall into a pit. Like Andy Dwyer. Parks and Rec fans, anyone? No. Fell in the pit. Okay. Uh, I used to run these uh, night rides. A few of us used to go on bike rides. Uh, we'd meet up once a month, go for a ride around Belfast in the evening. Uh, a big group of people. And uh, people relied on me to lead it. And to be honest, I never planned where I was going to go. I would just sit off and go. And then one time we got down to Titanic uh, museum around there and ended up in a dead end. And I thought it was kind of funny because people were just blindly following me. And she so had 30 people just riding around the circle in this dead end. This is, this is what happens when we follow a blind leader. So we want to not follow the wrong guides. We need to be discerning. We need to follow the right teachers. And Jesus says, follow me and you won't fall, in, fall into a pit. Jesus never leads us into the pit. And you see what else? He says that, that we become like the person we follow. He says, everyone, when he is fully trained, will become like his teacher. Now, in those days, rabbis, the teachers of the Jewish religion, would have followers, disciples, just like Jesus did. Jesus wasn't unique in that way. And it was understood that a disciple could actually become, uh, get enough understanding, become smart enough or, or achieve enough that they, that, that they would actually transcend their teacher, right? Become greater in that way than their teacher, you become wiser, have more understanding. The student would become the master, right? But what Jesus is saying is, this never happens with Jesus. We never outgrow our teacher. We can never transcend Jesus. With Jesus, the student never becomes the master because the goal of following Jesus isn't to become wiser than our, our teacher. The goal of following Jesus and learning, uh, learning from him throughout our lives is not to transcend him, but to become like him. That's, that's the journey that we're all on. If we're following Jesus, that's the journey we're on. We're, we're, following, we're following Jesus. And, and I spoke about this recently, I think, over Easter. The reality is that we're all following something. We're all following, maybe you have different things you're following. We don't live in a vacuum. Our opinions and, and decisions are influenced by the voices that we take in. So the question is, who are we following? Are we following our friends, our influencers, the media, the news, whatever? Are these the voices that are shaping and molding us the most? Because if they are, we are going to end up falling into a pit. It's the blind leading the blind. 
We're being led by something, so let's make sure that we aren't following blind teachers. Let's just strive to follow the one and good and true teacher. And listen, you guys are our church, right? So if, if, if your leaders, if your elders aren't following Jesus, then you don't follow us, okay? That's the, that's the rule. If we're not following Jesus, then you don't follow us. Let's listen closely to Jesus' voice. He's the one that directs our steps. Even though we are blind and we're walking through this world of darkness, he's the one who, who enlightens the path. He is the light himself, so our steps don't falter. Psalm 119, maybe you've heard this uh, as well. Uh, and the psalm says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. That's how we follow our teacher, through his word. Your word is a, a lamp for my feet. He is trustworthy. He is the only one who is the light. And if we aren't following him, we're following a path to disaster. So we need to be discerning in who we follow. So we keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's be saturated in his word. Let's listen to his instruction. And let's constantly make him our guide. Number five then. Jesus says, address your own sin. Maybe this is one of the most, uh, another really, really famous. We could have called this famous sayings that Jesus made famous or something. He, he's the one who invented these sayings and they're now all uh, so common. Listen to verses 41 and 42. Um, Jesus says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, uh, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Jesus, I think he's just a master teacher, and he uses these really funny like analogies and images, and he doesn't do it just to get a laugh, though I'm sure he maybe did get a laugh. Um, this really absurd image of somebody trying to do eye surgery while having a log sticking out of their own eye, right? It's a ridiculous image, and Jesus uses it so that we remember it, right? And this is what he's saying. He's saying, you can't try to reform and change your brothers and sisters if you are unwilling to be reformed and changed yourself. He says, why do you see the speck in your own brother's eye when you can't see the log in your own eye? A few years ago, uh, Tim might remember this, I was changing the tap in my mom's kitchen and I was lying under the sink and, and I was trying to unscrew this tap and a piece of rust went in my eye. Um, I don't know if you've ever had metal in your eye before. It's horrible, like just so sore and irritating and scratchy. And so we went to the hospital, Tim took me to the hospital um, and I went into the doctor's room and he had the magnifying glass and all the eye things and, and the tweezers and everything. He was able to get that piece of rust out. Now imagine if I went in there and this doctor had a two by four sticking out of his eye, right? And he's like going around, he's like turning around, smashing the place up and he's knocked his receptionist out and he's like coming to me to try and get this thing out. Would I let him do that procedure on me? Not a chance. It would be ridiculous, and the point is, isn't this what we do? Isn't that what we try to do? Don't we just love to point out the flaws and mistakes in other people without addressing our own? So easily tempted to be that way, aren't we? And yet Jesus is saying that we can't set ourselves up as any kind of corrective influence in our brothers and sisters' lives if we are totally unwilling to correct the sin in our own lives, address the, the sin that we carry. 
Now, notice that, that Jesus doesn't say that we shouldn't correct our brothers and sisters. In fact, the Bible, he is clear and the Bible is clear that we should. But the point that Jesus is making here is that we can't be going around trying to correct our other people if we're not being corrected ourselves. Jesus is calling his disciples. He's calling us to self-reflection and self-assessment. This is about a life of humility. The life of a disciple is a life of humility and repentance rather than a life of correcting others. There's a real sharp end to this, a real, uh, something that really struck me on Friday. How many of us spend more time talking about what is wrong with other people than we do confessing our own sin? And then, what if we put an actual timer on it? <laughs> what if we actually timed the, the, the time we spend complaining and talking about other people's sin, and then compared that with the time that we spend confessing our own sin? What would the disparity in time be there? It's a tough question, isn't it? I know what the answer is for me. And if our life is... I suppose it's a question, is our life more characterized by complaining about others than it is about confessing our own sin? Are we quick to notice the, the splinters in other people's eyes and ignore the big issues in our own eyes? And it's only when, Jesus says, the log is removed from your own eye that you can see clearly. We don't just see other people then clearly, we see ourselves clearly. Jesus says, in his kingdom, we confess our sin more than we correct others. That's the, that should be the ratio, not the other way around. We are to correct other people, but we should be way more into confessing our own sin than we should be correcting others. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a vital part of our lives together that we do correct one another. We have to hold each other accountable as we follow Jesus, but there is a right way to do this. Paul says in, in Galatians 6, he says, brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, right? That's if you notice a speck in somebody else's eye. Then he goes on, you who are spiritual, right? That's those of you who have done the work of removing the log from your own eye should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So you see how we do this? You go in with gentleness. You don't condemn them. The goal is, is not to run them down, but to what? Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Our goal is not to go in and condemn and criticize. We don't take the log out of our eye and then beat them over the head with it. The goal is to restore them to the way of Jesus. And then he finishes with, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. That's the spirit of humility, knowing that we're all, we're all so easily led into critique and we're all so led into sin ourselves. So it's not that Jesus says, don't correct each other. We need to do that. For the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the church, we need to correct each other. But we do it in this way. We remove the log from our own eye before we even think of tackling the speck in someone else's eye. You see, Jesus is training us. Remember, we're following him. He's our teacher. He's training us as we become more like him to be people who recognize our own failures and our own neediness and our own sin our own dependence on him. And he is training us so that our first instincts will be to forgive, to be quick to show mercy, to be quick to be generous. Why? Because we are citizens of his kingdom. 
And his kingdom reflects his character and his values and his nature. Jesus is training us to live as, as people of his kingdom. And as he leads us in this way, we become more like him, don't we? And so just as I finish, think about what we've covered this morning. I feel like that's very, very practical, isn't it? There's a lot of stuff in there. But this is what we've covered this morning. Citizens of the kingdom of God are to be big-hearted, non-judgmental, forgiving, generous people. That's what Jesus is calling us to this morning, and, and every day for that matter. Now, it's very easy to preach this. <laughs> it's much harder to live, isn't it? Forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is really hard. Not being critical and judgmental is hard. Letting go of hurts is hard. Being generous is hard and costly. Because the truth is that people in this church will disappoint you. (laughs) Your sisters and brothers will let you down. Your elders will let you down. I am sure that I have let many of you down many times before. People will sin against you. People will hurt you. And you will do the same. (laughs) And so to think that we are all just going to get along and, uh, all the time and live in some kind of utopia until Jesus comes back, that's, that's not true. The utopia that we live in will be after Jesus comes back. We live now in a sinful world and we are a church. And, and the church is a, a gathering of people, a gathering of sinful people. That's what we are. Colossians 3, uh, God tells us that we are to bear with one another. And there wouldn't be a command to bear with one another if there wasn't going to be some stuff that we're going to have to put up with. <laughs> so how do we make this work? How do, we, how do we live this life as citizens of heaven that Jesus is calling us to? Well, we look to Jesus. It always comes back to Jesus, doesn't it? Always. The gospel is our motivation. Everything we have been talking about this morning is fulfilled in and by Jesus. And if we are to live as citizens of God's kingdom, then we need to behave towards each other as Jesus has behaved towards us. We live by practicing the gospel to one another. The Apostle Paul knew this, and he's taken this teaching and he expands on it in Ephesians chapter 4, and he says this, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgive you. See what Paul says? He says, we are to forgive one another as Christ forgave you. The bottom line is that we do for each other what Christ has done for us. We show mercy because we have been shown mercy. We are compassionate because God has been compassionate with us. We are slow to anger because God is slow to anger with us. We are overflowingly generous because God is overflowingly generous with us. We forgive because we are forgiven. This is what I want to finish with. I want us to go away, not overwhelmed with the task of living this way, because the truth is we don't do it on our own strength. I want us to go away encouraged by what God has done for us in Jesus. Listen to these words from Micah chapter 7. This is Micah, if you want to go back and read later on, this is Micah chapter 7, verses 18 to 19. The prophet says, Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over our transgression. He does not retain his anger forever because because he delights in steadfast love. 
He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Isn't that class? This is what God has done for us. He has he's taken all our sin. He's thrown it into the depths of the sea. Not just the shallow bit at the beach so it can like wash up, you know, again. It's, it's thrown into the, the deepest parts of the sea. It can't ever come back again. There was a missionary called Corrie Ten Boom, and she said, uh, God threw our sin into the depths of the sea, and then he put up a no fishing sign. It can't ever be dragged up again. This is how God has forgiven us, and it's in light of this. The book of Nehemiah tells us that our God stands ready to forgive sometimes we don't think about this that's God's position that's his disposition towards us he stands ready to forgive not ready to condemn not ready to judge us not ready to pick at our faults but ready to forgive and that's the disposition that we have for each other so I'm just praying that we learn to, to walk in this way with each other we're citizens of God's kingdom and we look to Jesus to live as such isn't that amazing how much he's forgiven us let's pray Father, we just, want to, we just want, want to thank you for that forgiveness that you have thrown our sin into the deepest parts of the sea, into the depth of the sea. Um, none of us can claim to be any kind of good, but you've taken all our sin and thrown it into the depth of the sea. We can't ever get it back again. Um, that's incredible, Lord. And I just pray that that would be the thing that motivates us as we seek to live in your kingdom as brothers and sisters, as citizens of heaven. That we would be big-hearted, compassionate, generous, forgiving people towards each other. Uh, Father, I pray that this we church family would be characterized by those things. Um, Father, I pray that you would remove critical spirits, you remove judgmental hearts. And I pray that for myself as well. That you would turn us into people who just model Jesus, that just imitate him. Forgive because so much has been forgiven of us. We love you, Jesus.